listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? Having a good day? Everything all right? Just trying not to panic. Just trying to be calm. Just trying to be calm, not letting the fear get a hold of me. The whole coronavirus thing's got me a little wigged out. Little wigged out, I'm telling you. Have you seen this video out of Iran? Oh, my goodness. So, so in, in Iran, a couple of officials, they get in front of the camera. They're trying to, you know, assure the population that they're telling the truth about the number of cases. And, and one of the officials, he begins to mop his forehead. He's sweating uncontrollably. Guess what he's got? More on coronavirus coming up, what it means, and whether or not this pandemic is at a tipping point. Or is it just that the fear is? I'm trying to get. I'm trying to figure that out because you got that thing going on. Next thing you know, there's it's lawlessness in the country, blockades everywhere. We take one down, another one pops up. I try and figure out what is going on in the Caledonia area, the blockade that has impacted Go trains this morning. Get that. But let's get right to the comedy, shall we? And for that, let's get to the legislature to Queens Park to the comedy stylings of Andrea Horvath talking about Stephen Lecce. Thanks. I think we need a Zamboni driver to replace the uh, Minister of Education here. Oh, yo! Ho, ho. Thank you! Uh, that is <clears throat> Andrea Horvath with a zinger against uh, Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education, who then, and I like this response here, because when you when they're firing the comedy at you, what you what do you do? You just get all high and mighty. Listen to Stephen Lecce here. I find the cult of personality obsession by the leader of the opposition, the union presidents, about me, you know, is really unhelpful. With respect to the leader of the opposition, with respect to the leader of the opposition, Order. it isn't about you. It isn't about me. It's about our kids. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about you. That is Stephen Lecce firing back. A couple of moments there in the House is, again, we still have complete anarchy in the labor disruption in the education file. So you got that, you got your blockades and zombies, all of it, all together. I'm just trying to be calm. I'm just trying to stay calm. Now, Stephen Lecce is, regardless how you think about him or what you feel about him or how, you know, which side are you on in the labor disruption with the teachers, the man is an effective communicator. You heard it right there. That kind of, that took a little bit of the hot air out of the old Zamboni. That's what that did. And contrast that with his predecessor, Lisa Thompson, who remains the absolute worst when it comes to communication. She may be a very effective uh, minister. I don't know. But part of the job of being a minister of the crown is being able to handle questions and to be able to sort of, you know, take the punches and weave and bob. And this license plate thing just does not seem to get any better day in, day out. It's just another piece of egg on the face of the government. And all of it kind of contributes to this sort of feeling that this government just can't seem to do even the easy things. If it can't do the easy things, then how are you supposed to believe them on education? How are we supposed to believe them on the big stuff? 
Here is the minister in the House today, Lisa Thompson, again, asked about the license plates. She was asked specifically by the NDP, okay, what kind of testing did you do? Because remember back when this whole thing came out, the license plates, it, it, to bring up just beat if you don't know, you can't see them, right? And they have to all be replaced, all the ones that have been handed out so far. They're going to have to be replaced because they can't be seen under certain light conditions. They can't be read by photo radar, all kinds of problems. Well, initially, the minister's like, nothing to see here, pun intended, and said, well, we did all this testing. We tested it, well, you know, we tested it high. We tested it low, to the left, to the right, all the testing. So the NDP asked the minister, all right, if that's true, tell us what kind of test you did and give us the evidence of that. Uh, here is the answer from the minister in response. We are listening. And we are taking action. And again, we're standing with 3M, who have assured us that they will deliver an enhanced product in the weeks to come. So, Speaker, again, I look forward to continuing to update this House and the member opposite as our progress continues. And again, we are taking action, and we will be delivering an enhanced product in the coming weeks. And an enhanced project, and we're listening, and everything is good, and it's all fine. Everything is good. And literally the whole way through things, she's just smiling. Yeah! Please remain calm. Nothing to see here. No. And then yet again, today, after question period, the minister ducks scrums. In other words, leaves by a back way, does not come out in front of the media, does not take questions yet again. This is the same thing for the last couple of days. Yesterday was the same deal. And instead, they put out Paul Calandra, who is a much smoother operator, got political experience. He is the government house leader. He was formerly uh, an MP in Ottawa in the Harper administration. And I want you to listen to this. I, this is, I heard this yesterday, and I just about fell off my chair. <laughs> this is so funny. Uh, so when pressed on the fact that you can't make license plates, Minister this government can't do this. Like, so then, if you can't do this, what can you do? And here is the minister's response. I've never been involved in the government, as I said last week. That didn't run into obstacles every once in a while. If the worst thing that happens to us over the next four years is that we have to replace 30,000 license plates, then I would think job well done. Job well done, sir. Well done, sir. You, sir. That is, that is ridiculous. Yeah, well, if all we got to do is recall some license plates, then we're all good. Oh, what about all the other things that you climbed down from? What about all the other snafus? What about the premier trying to put his buddy in charge of the OPP? How'd that work out? Well, if the worst thing we have to do is reverse some cronyism, then that's pretty good. This government is in trouble. And I don't know what your political persuasions are. I don't have one. I'm agnostic. I know maybe you think maybe that's not true. I mean, listen, I, I'm telling you the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is, is this is the, this is the gang that can't shoot straight. Right? Fire! Ready, aim. That's, that is what happens with this government. And now, all of this, meanwhile, we have another blockade. And keep in mind, as much as the provincial government likes to point its finger at Ottawa, and there is a lot of finger pointing to be done with the whole situation, the lawlessness, all of it, there's a lot of finger pointing that needs to be done. 
But at the end of the day, there is a responsibility of the provincial government to see that injunctions are enforced. And so let's take you to Hamilton. And this is Constable Jerome Stewart from the Hamilton Police updating the media this morning about this blockade that has had impact on GO service and likely will for God knows how long. Here is Constable Jerome Stewart of the Hamilton Police. At this point in time, the protesters have been served with an injunction by CN Rail. Yeah, that'll work. And they are, we are encouraging them to abide by that injunction and to leave the area peacefully. How long are you giving them for this is a fluid situation. We'll continue to monitor their actions. Once again, our primary objective here, though, is to maintain peace and provide a safe environment. Well, let me just check the precedent. How long are we going to give them? Looks like about two and a half weeks. That's the current going time to just kind of, you know, make sure you settle in. And, and listen, listen to this from, from uh, Go, from Metrolinks. This is Anne-Marie Aiken saying, hey, listen, it's out of our hands. In terms of any affiliation with a band in the area, there isn't one that we've heard of, but of course we are looking to speak with these protesters. They remain on the tracks, and they say, yes, they're going to be here indefinitely. They've got their tents going, fires going, music playing, and they're inviting people to join them. That is actually Miranda Anthesel, who is a Global News reporter, who's uh, reporting on the blockade. And what you heard there is not planning to go anywhere soon. Nope. In fact, why don't you come on down? Tell me what has he won. Now, police say, well, nobody else can join them. You're not allowed to go down there. Well, this is going to grow. And if it's not going to be this one, we got one in Sault Ste. Marie right now. we got a bridge blocked, not entirely blocked, at uh, the International Bridge. They're just the access to it. It's still open, but uh, access to portion of that bridge blocked by protesters. So we have what exactly we figured we were going to get, which is the RCMP move in east of Belleville, and now we have other blockades are popping up here and there. And what are we going to do? We'll wait two weeks on this one? Yeah, I I come back to what I've been saying, though, for for the last couple of days. If you think you got a solution to it, you know, call up, right? Because it's not that simple. I know there's a lot of people out there, and myself included, when this first began, it was like, just send in the cops. That's not going to work. I mean, Dudley George, did that ring a bell to you? I was there that night, by the way, in Ipperwash when Dudley George was killed. Just happened to be there, vacationing with my family right next to where it all happened. We were evacuated the next day by the OPP. That's a story for another day. But it, it's instructive because if you go heavy on the force, and I know there's a lot of people in this country who think that that's what should happen. But you're just going to perpetuate it. And we're at a tipping point in this country where, I mean, how are we going to navigate our way through here? We are where we are. And you can complain, well, it, you know, it's the softness of the prime minister. It was, it's the prime minister encouraging, you know, the belief that there's going to be change in a, in a fashion that is just not realistic. I think, the, I think those are all valid complaints. But nevertheless, we're here right now. What are you going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do is don't panic. Do not panic. Try and remain calm. Because hopefully we can get some kind of solution to this. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm telling you right now, if you're taking the GO train tonight, you're, you're not. You're just not. I don't, there's not going to be, it's not going to be solved anytime soon. There's tents. There's snacks. They have snacks. Once you got snacks, you're not leaving. I'll tell you. I know this for a fact. I get some snacks. I sit myself down. I don't leave for six or seven hours at least. Maybe, maybe a dozen hours. So there for a while.
I am just trying to remain calm. I am just trying to be calm. Please remain calm. It is difficult, tough to be calm. Coming up in our next segment, phrases that you probably shouldn't say unless you want people to call you sexist. I have a series of phrases, many of them that I use constantly, that apparently mean I'm sexist. Shiba Siddiqui is standing by my producer to tell me how I'm wrong on so many levels. I'm looking forward to that. That is in our next segment that is coming right up. I want to quickly read this to you from my inbox. It's just coming in to alan.carter at globalnews.ca. That's A-L-A-N dot carter at globalnews.ca. That's my personal email. You can write to me. Let me know what you think. Say, Alan, writes Kevin, why are you so concerned with the license plates? Big trip at night coming up? Is it a hobby to drive around at night calling 911? What's your concern? There are real issues to worry about for Pete's sakes. It's true. I do make a lot of fun about the license plates, and, and I have talked about why in the past. And perhaps Kevin is right, that there are bigger things to worry about than license plates that cannot be read by police enforcement at night or photo radar. Maybe there are bigger things to worry about, like, I don't know, a pandemic. Maybe that's the thing I need to be worrying more about. Global pandemic. Uh, is, that, is that where we're at? What's that thing called again? I can't remember. It's not COVID-19. The... Oh. Right. C-O-V-I-D uh-huh. hyphen, hyphen one nine. One nine. That is the director general of the World Health Organization being very helpful. Thank you. COVID-19. A couple of things I want to talk about with COVID-19. I talked about it at the beginning of the show. I don't know if you've seen this. An Iranian official at a press conference yesterday assuring that nation that, hey, we got it all under control. No problem. And then he steps forward and starts mopping his brow. He's got the flop sweats going. And people are like, wait a second, that's weird. Yep. Turns out he's tested positive. He's got COVID-19. So you got that. And then this is going to worry me. This has got me worried. Tom Cruise is involved now. The American Mission Impossible actor has reportedly left the set in Venice due to coronavirus contagion in the city. Almost 300 people have been affected with at least seven deaths as the hub of Italy's economy, Milan, an area slow to a halt. Uh, All the bars, all the shops, they are closing, so this will affect all the Italian economy. Says this hotel receptionist in Milan, Megan Williams, ABC News, Rome. Okay, so now here's a guy who does all his own stunts is running away. That's not good. That seems to be bad to me. That seems bad. And I have talked before about my somewhat irrational fear of COVID-19, or rather my irrational fear of pandemics. You know why? Zombies. Zombies. There's no such thing as zombies. I, I know there are no such thing as zombies, but I've watched a lot of zombie movies in my lives, and the whole idea of the you know the, the 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 people in the big suits coming after you with the gas masks and the whole thing, and they're scrubbing you down—that's a fear I have. Global pandemic. And then yesterday, you've got to see this video if you haven't seen it. This, yesterday, the Chinese military showed a, a, an exercise of how they are going to potentially deal with someone who has COVID-19 who will not, uh, w- w- will not acquiesce. And so what it shows is a guy gets out of a car 
and he's got the mask on, and he tears the mask off, and he starts shouting at a, a person of authority. And out of nowhere, dudes in full hazmat suits come running in. There's a guy who's got like a net, like a butterfly net. He puts it over the guy's face, zwank. Next thing you know, they have him doubled over. They put a giant burlap sack around his head, and they just throw him into a van, and he's gone, never to be seen again. Please remain calm. Well, hello, dystopian future. Just come on in. Am I out of control? Am I not being part of the solution? Allison Thompson is an expert on ethics, ethics and pandemics at U of T and joins me on the line. Hi, Allison. Good afternoon. Uh, I, I'm having a hard time remaining calm, and I, I quite seriously, I feel like the world is at this tipping point right now where the calmness that we have seen is about to evaporate. Well, I think that uh, a lot of people sort of share your fear and you're you're definitely tapping into the uh the fear that uh is present in a lot of movies about pandemics and zombie apocalypse but uh, i don't think we're there yet but we're, we're at this point now where we have cases multiplying outside of china and we we have a situation in italy which is very serious a situation in uh, in Iran, this is very serious. I just noticed that the CDC now has said that Americans should not travel to South Korea. I mean, I mean what's a person to think? Well, I think we're, what we're seeing right now is that the window for containment uh, of this virus is closing. And so people are are becoming more cautious about where they travel and governments are starting to make recommendations about uh, perhaps, you know, not visiting these places. But I think that we are still, you know, pretty early on in the the sort of curve of this epidemic, if we want to call it that. And uh, we're still trying to figure out, you know, what, what's the role of, of strategies like isolation and social distancing uh, and quarantine, and we're, we're getting the sense that they're not very effective with this virus so far. It, it has a feeling like we're in uncharted territory. We've never seen anything like this. I mean, unless we're talking about the Spanish influenza or, you know, something that predates all the, you know, the, the technology we have. Now, is that an accurate assessment? Well, I think we have to remember that every single year there is an influenza pandemic, which we just sort of ignore. Um, you know, so we are not really that far out of that uh, of the territory of, of what is considered normal um, in terms of the spread of some some viruses like influenza. I think what's um, what's troubling is that we, you know, are still really at the early stages of trying to understand. The uh, the nature of this virus, how how it's spread, you know what uh, what we can do to treat and prevent the spread of it. So, you know, we we have a lot of research still to do, and there seems to be, uh, you know, with the advent of these open access data portals, we've got a lot more information about this virus than we ever did about SARS, say, um, when when that outbreak occurred. So. We, there are a lot of, of changes that have occurred since SARS that we should be optimistic about. And I think that we've got the capacity in terms of research to, to really get on top of this. And there's a, certainly a lot of research coming out of China and the U.S. on, on this virus. It's a matter of, you know, how quickly can we get it peer-reviewed and, 
and make sure that people are not acting on that information before we actually know that it's legitimate. Speaking with Allison Thompson, who is an expert on ethics and pandemics at the University of Toronto. I don't know about you, I like to travel, but now I don't know if I should. And listen to this from Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, just this morning. We've seen uh, new places where the coronavirus has expanded in South Korea. We saw in Italy today, uh, not only in the north of Italy, but we saw Sicily and Tuscany. Uh, We've seen what's happening in Iran. Before you book, just make sure you check. That would be the best advice I can give now because this thing is a very dynamic situation. That sounds like don't take a vacation at all to me, Allison. (laughs) Well... There are actually, surprisingly, a large number of people who use flight data to model where the outbreak is going to go next. So we're not flying blind, so to speak, about where these, uh, where it's likely to spread. Um, so, you know, I think if, if you are, are worried about traveling, doing, it, it wouldn't be too hard to find out, uh, you know, what the relative risk would be of where you want to go. I wouldn't, I would think it would be a bit premature to say don't travel anywhere. Um, And, you know, it it might give you a false sense of security to think that just by not getting on a plane, you're going to be okay too. So there's that to think about. Uh, Just one final question. Are zombies real? There's no such thing as zombies. Well, I, I don't know, but we might have one at, at Queen's Park. You know, the slashing of public health budgets is maybe going to come back to fight uh, the, uh, you know, where. So I think that's something to think about. Is, you know, was, it, was it smart to get public health in Ontario, uh, you know, where we had SARS? You know, short, short-term memory problems probably are related to uh, being a zombie. Wow. That is some good stuff. Allison Thompson, expert on ethics and pandemics with a nice left-hander there. Boom, jab. Love it. Thanks, Allison. Appreciate it. Good. Take care. Allison Thompson, expert on ethics and pandemics at the University of Toronto. No zombies, just the premier. I guess that was the summation right there. I didn't see that one coming. Who saw that? There's no such thing as zombies. Keeping our eye on that blockade of the tracks between Aldershot and Hamilton, which is ongoing and impacting GO Transit service. Our Sean O'Shea is live at the scene, joins me on the line. Hi, Sean. Hi, good afternoon, Alan. Tell me where you are and what do you see? We're on York Boulevard. You know this area well. We're west of the Aldershot uh, GO station, um, and that is the point at which trains are terminating. No trains coming further west into Hamilton, so all of the rail service that would come into Hamilton and through Niagara has all been disrupted because of the protests that broke out there at around 5.30 in the afternoon, not far from where we are. We're looking down just from where we are, and we have a protest camp there, Upwards of a dozen, as many as 30 people at different times are there. They've been there since yesterday at 5.30, as I said. They're not moving, and as a result of that, traffic isn't moving here either. Uh, And we've heard from police that they've sort of closed off the area that other people aren't supposed to be joining that protest. Do you have any evidence that that is working? 
I got here about an hour ago, and our uh, reporter, uh, Miranda Anthesel, was here uh, all morning. Uh, it looks like they, they are correct that there's no more people coming in to, to support that, but they're not going anywhere, uh, according to what they, they said. There was a court injunction that was delivered to them uh, late last night, uh, and they said on their website that they these are the protesters said that they promptly burned, the, uh, burned that uh, legal document, and that's that. Police spoke to the media about one hour ago, and it said that they're Hamilton police and essentially said that they're watching the situation. Uh, the people who are down there are in violation of the law, but they've taken no steps so far to remove them. And it is really a wait and see. Go train, uh, Metrolinx, uh, which runs the Go service as well, taking a wait and see. Not much they can do. It's CN Rail tracks. The police have the authority to do something, but at this point, Alan, they're not doing anything. Sean O'Shea reporting live from that blockade. Looking forward to your report tonight on Global News at 5.30 and 6. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Alan. I want to turn to the Weinstein verdict yesterday. Not sure if you paid attention to it. There was something that just popped out of that that I want to talk about. And this is included under the headline, Top Phrases That You Probably Should Never Say. Now, give you an update quickly while in an ambulance on its way to Rikers... For his conviction after sex assault charges, Weinstein was rerouted to the hospital for chest pains, for heart palpitations, high blood pressure. Apparently he's there right now before being transferred perhaps later today to Rikers. Wednesday admitted Monday night he is okay, admitted in Monday night that he was okay. Uh, Now, here's what happened at the conclusion of the actual verdict when it was read out. Weinstein's top lawyer, Donna Rotuno, who is a character in her own right, came out and said this was a bittersweet day after a client was found guilty on those two accounts of sexual assault, asked about Weinstein's behavior. She said, quote, Harvey is strong. Harvey is unbelievably strong. He took it like a man, unquote. Which, beyond being just tone deaf, considering what's at stake here, the case, It's also just a dumb thing to say. Can we just agree on that, that that's just dumb? We can. Sheba Siddiqui is my producer and joins me now as we're going to run through a list of phrases that perhaps maybe you should never say again. Some things that we just, you know, it's in our vernacular, we say it all the time, but maybe we should start thinking to ourselves, that's not the best thing to say. And I'm going to run through some of them here. This is a list from MSN.com. Sheba, you help me with this. Uh, Man up. Man up, Carter. See, would you you would say that. <laughs> you would say that's sexist. I, I would say that to you. I will admit it. But I would not say that to anyone else. No, it's inappropriate otherwise. All right, grow a pair. Grow a pair? Grow a pair. I, you know what? I say that to... You say that. To my girlfriend. Uh-huh. To, I would not say that to a male. I am revoking your wokeness. Uh, like a girl, used as in cried like a girl. You know, I like it when it's said in terms of throw like a girl. Throw like a girl. In a good way, yes, throw like a girl. He throws like a girl. Or or shoot like a girl, or or kick like a girl, or pass like a girl. In a positive way, you use a female Olympic athlete and emulate her. Okay, so you don't say to your your son who's in grade six and who can't throw a Frisbee, dude... You throw like a girl. You can't, that's not... No, I would never say that to anyone, no. All right. I'm woke. Boys will be boys. (laughs) I hate this one. (laughs) 
I hate this one. This is horrible. I think this is where rape culture comes from. Boys will be boys. It starts at a very young age. When I was young, growing up in grade one, I'd come home from school or I'd be telling a teacher or whatever it was, a boy was picking on me. Oh, I think he likes you. Boys will be boys. No, absolutely not. All right. That one's out. Uh, he or she is so whipped. Dude, <laughs> that dude is so whipped, man. Is whipped. That, that's what your wife says at work? About, no, everyone, everyone. My wife likes to say to me, if things start to go iffy, she looks at me and goes, just remember, you can't afford another divorce. Uh, <laughs> that's just how that rolls in my house. Uh, okay, uh, how about this one? Where's the pants? Oh, like as in who, who wears, who wears the, pants? the pants? Oh, I totally wear the pants around here, man. Ridiculous. ridiculous. Don't like that. Here's one. I get complaints about this one. If you just even say anything like you guys, guys, use, using the term guys to indicate a group of people regardless of their gender. So what should you call them? Hey, peop- you hey, people? Folks. 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 I can't say that. Like, what is it? Can you can say anymore? This is getting. This gets complicated. Uh, can you call something a ballsy move? She, a ballsy move taking no, this job because women are brave as well. So you're ballsy. Women are brave. I don't know what ballsy means. Sorry, I don't. I don't tell have you, that particular. I'll tell you after the show. <laughs> um, don't you worry your pretty little head. I would say that to you. <laughs> But that's demonstrably false. You've seen me. I do not have either a a little head or a pretty one. I would. It would be perfectly suited for you. All right. And our final one: Don't be such a prude. Can you say that? No, absolutely what? not. What's Why? a prude? What's a prude? It's it varies for everybody. A prude in your house. How is it sexist? I think that they're attributing that to the virginesque little girl from. A few decades ago. One that I actually also hate, another one, is mm. smile. Oh, why don't you smile more? Huh? <laughs> You're so pretty. You'd be prettier if you smiled a little. On another note, I actually did a little bit of research on this. Uh-huh. And so there are a couple of other terms that are inappropriate to say. Now, okay. prostitute is one of them. You're right. supposed to refer to them as a sex, sex worker. worker. Right. Don't perverted. Be... Perverted is. Do you know what that is? Perverted? Yes. It's a good time on a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> okay, boomer. Sexually dysfunctional. Ah. Uh, and a bisexual prostitute is an equal opportunity sex worker. All comers. Okay, good. Thanks. Oh, my goodness. I that, th- Thanks, Sheba. Those are a list of uh, words, things that probably you should never say. Are you high? Are you high right now? Well, that's probably not unusual because Canadians bought $146.2 million worth of legal cannabis in December. That is the biggest month of sales on record. That is according to Stats Canada. And cannabis prices across the country continued to decline in the fourth quarter of 2019. Also from Stats Canada, it pegged the average price of legal cannabis at $10.30 per gram, that is, for the period between October and December of 2019. However, crowdsourced data from StatsCan showed the average price of illegal cannabis continued to drop to $5.73 per gram. So if you want the gray market stuff, 
That's $5.73 a gram. Or you can find yourself an Ontario cannabis store. Good luck. Or go online and enter all of your personal information right here to be able to buy weaker cannabis at the price of $10.30 per gram. Of course, that varies province to province. We have seen prices come down at OCS. But wait a second, wasn't the whole idea here to try and get rid of the gray market and where we're going to pick the prices so that they would be competitive? And guess what the gray market is able to do? Every time the legal prices come down, the gray market prices will just go down that much further. And the product will be better. And the potency will be higher. And the kind of things that you might actually want are available. Not all sold out. But what do consumers want? This is from Leafy.com. Shoppers seem happiest when they can get products at low prices and, of course, at higher THC counts. But beyond that, nobody really knows. Millennials represent a major cohort of cannabis buyers. Roughly half of the 13% of Canadians who identify themselves as frequent cannabis users, but that's partly tempered by the fact that the fastest-growing cohort of cannabis users is over age of 65. Suddenly, Grandma is lit. As of last fall, 70% of consumers arriving at a cannabis store had no idea what they were going to buy. This is like going to the beer store and just going in there and saying, I'll have a beer. And then they're like, well, what kind do we want? I don't know. Just give me a beer. What? It's all the same. And that's a big problem for the industry going forward. But what about politics? What about that Peter McKay fella who seems to keep getting himself into trouble with his tweets? Peter McKay thinks the entire legalization of cannabis is a bad thing. Here's what he said recently. It should have been decriminalized. And that's where our government was headed on the advice of the Canadian Police Association, the Chiefs of Police. Bringing in a phased way to decriminalize it would have been far preferable. What I most worry about is the impact on young people, the mental health implications, the impaired driving implications. It was forced. The entire issue was rushed. I believe it wasn't the highest priority for an incoming government. It was a back-of-a-napkin promise with the current Prime Minister I believe we have jumped the shark. We're trying to get as many cliches into this answer as he possibly can. Peter McKay right here. That is what Peter McKay has to say about the legalization of marijuana. Now, if you do consume, where do you get your product? Will you go to one of these bricks and mortar? One of the most famous ones is called the Honey Pot. And my next guest is a senior editor and host Advice, Manisha Krishman, who joins me with an incredible story about the honeypot. Hello. Hi, Alan. So what did you find out about Toronto's first legal weed shop? Um, I found out a lot, actually. So basically a few months ago, several honeypot employees came to me, um, and they had a lot of serious allegations about what they said were really poor working conditions. They said that the staff was treated poorly, that the store had flooded multiple times, and staff were asked to clean up sewage without any proper equipment. Um, they said that they were even sold product that had been sort of impacted by the sewage water at a discount. 
they told me that there were sort of racist comments that were made to a couple of them by uh, senior staff members, by supervisors. Um, you know, they a couple of them alleged that there were issues with their pay, that essentially they weren't paid the salary that they were told they would be paid. Um, meanwhile, the, the company itself, according to these employees, was making a lot of money. Um, you know, one of them said that last year over Carabana weekend, the store raked in a hundred grand. So there was sort of this huge disparity of how the workers alleged they were being treated, um, you know, workers making 15, 16, 17 dollars an hour and how much money the store, uh, you know, was, was bringing in. What's the response from the honeypot been? So the honeypot didn't comment on a lot of these specifics uh, in my story. What they said was that they're trying to create a healthy and inclusive working environment for everyone. Um, but they said that due to privacy issues, they weren't going to comment on many of the specifics. They weren't going to mention the poo smell? <laughs> no. They said that the flooding that the store experienced was handled in a professional and expedient manner um, and that it was normal for any business in Toronto to flood. What is your take on on these stores? Is this something that, in your sense, and your reporting, is just isolated to this one particular, allegedly to this one particular location? Or are we setting up with all of these individual private operators the sort of recipe for this kind of thing to happen again and again? I think that there were some issues with the way Ontario went about rolling out the stores. So there was a super short time period um, where the lottery winners who won the retail licenses were able to set up and operate. And I think that may have rushed the process a bit um, and led to some of the issues. I think the other thing was probably a mistake to even have a lottery process. I think it would have made a lot of sense to look at the good gray market dispensaries, the ones who, you know, had a professional environment, had experienced staff, and just sort of grandfather them into the legal market because they were already doing a good job. They just weren't, you know, fully licensed and regulated. Yeah, but the government said that if you were going to, if you were doing that, if you were engaged in that prior to legalization, that you were going to be disqualified. Yeah, that's what the government said, Um, and I just don't think that was necessarily the smartest strategy. I think it would have made sense to sort of look at bad actors, because some of the gray market dispensaries weren't good. Uh, You know, there's no doubt about that. Some of them were shady, but some of them were doing a pretty good job, Um, and I think those ones could have been given a license. Instead, we have this lottery system where, frankly, a lot of people with no clue about cannabis um, applied for these licenses and landed them. So I think it's, you know, those do factor into, I think, what happened here with Honeypot. In my preamble, I talked about the impetus of legalization being the elimination of the black and the gray market. When you look at the price changes and the the products that are available, do you have any confidence whatsoever that the gray market, the black market will be eliminated? No, not right now. Um, I do think that more people are buying legal weed, um, but I do think that the black market remains very strong. What's happening is a lot of them are just going to these delivery services. So they're moving away from the bricks and mortar and they're online and you can just sort of 
order it like you order an Uber. Um, and you can get a huge variety of products delivered the same day. And as you mentioned, often cheaper prices or you get deals, you'll get a free joint or, you know, whatnot. The more you buy, the more you save. Um, they're allowed to sort of play around with discounts and stuff in a way that the legal market uh, is maybe struggling with. Um, and then the whole quality and uh, selection is a huge issue because there's just a lot more available on the black market. You have to wonder when law enforcement is really actually going to crack down on these gray market online sites. I think with the Internet, to be honest, I'm, I don't think that it's going to be possible to sort of stamp them out. I mean... The Internet has made it so easy for these people to operate. And, you know, if they get fined, so what? They make enough money to pay that fine off in, you know, in a day and then keep on operating. Um, So I I just think that that's going to be a really, really tough thing to enforce. Manisha Krishnan is a senior editor and host at Vice. Always great having you on the program to talk cannabis. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. All right, we'll leave it there, shall we? Although I think we have to, we have time for another joke. I'm going to cue up this. I think this is one of my favorite comedy albums of all times, and I just want to just cue this one up. I think this is one of the great lines of it's just it's. This is with classic. Hit it. Thanks. I think we need a Zamboni driver to replace the uh, Minister of Education here. <laughs> oh! All right. All right. That was just uh, that. Would that wind up was fake? That was fake news. That was Andrea Horvath in the uh, House today question period taking a shot at Stephen Lecce. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with me this hour. 